Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to the Believe in Vanderbilt Football podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, brought to you by betonline.ag. In the Music City, I'm Matt Perkins, and I'm joined as always by Ryan Seymour. On today's show, Ryan and I sit down with Jake Crane, host of The Jay Boy Show, to talk all things SEC football, roster management on college football teams, and a whole lot more. But before we get started, we can't forget to... Welcome back to Believe in Vanderbilt Football. Uh, Ryan and I have the pleasure of being joined today by the host of the J-Boy Show, J-Boy Podcast, Jake Crane. Welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Uh, really excited to be here. Uh, good to be with you uh, again, Matt. Ryan, what's up, man? Excited to uh, chop it up a little bit. Let's do it, man. I'm interested to, to hear some opinions on the SEC and your thoughts on Vandy, and I'm going to give you some my thoughts on Auburn. So. Oh, hey, look. Hey, don't hold back. <laughs> Yeah, well, okay. th- that's the reason we like having you on, because we know you don't hold back. But uh, as no. you guys all, I'm sure, know, know as loyal listeners to the podcast, uh, uh, we here at Believe in Vandy are sponsored by BetOnline.ag. College football season is really in full swing now. Big Ten's coming back this weekend. And even though you guys may not be at the game this year, you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. Uh, Jake, four SEC games this weekend. We've got we've got Alabama uh, minus 21 at uh, in Knoxville against UT. We've got Auburn as a three and a half point favorite on the road at Ole Miss. We've got UT. Uh, oh, sorry, we've got Kentucky after beating UT for the first time in Knoxville since the Reagan administration on the road again. It's a five point favorite at Mizzou and LSU against South Carolina in Baton Rouge. Bayou Bengals six and a half point favorites at home. Out of those four games, out of those four lines, which one do you like the most? Well, it's, to be honest with you, it's really hard for me not to bet a good, you know, take Alabama every time just from what I've seen. I mean, they don't, you know, they really don't let you down. Uh, you know, Tennessee's having quarterback problems, which, you know, with Quarantano, he still had a lot to prove because until the Georgia game, you know, they really hadn't played anyone. And it's not like he was stellar in that game. Then in, in, in the Kentucky game, obviously, uh, Kentucky had a great plan. I'm not taking anything away from Mark Stoops, but Tennessee was lobbing softballs up there, and uh, Kentucky was hitting them out of the park on defense. And, uh, again, when I watch Alabama play, their defense needed confidence. I think they got that a little bit from the Georgia game, even though Georgia had some success early. And it was funny because Alabama did to Georgia what Georgia did to Tennessee. So uh, typically I try to read the tea leaves and that's come out in the second half and shut you out and blank you and make the decision that we're just better than you and we're going to be better than you for the rest of the game. And I don't think Tennessee, I think up front, Tennessee is one of the teams that's kind of chipping away at Georgia and Alabama a little bit, especially with what Jeremy's been able to do from a recruiting standpoint. But again, uh, you got to have the full set, uh, the full deck of cards if you're going to beat Alabama. And uh, they don't have a, a king card in there to play quarterback. Uh, you can have all the queens and jacks and spades and all that stuff, but uh, you got to have a guy back there that can move the ball and extend plays. And and I just think Alabama's better than three touchdowns. So going to be better than three touchdowns against Tennessee this weekend. Yeah, I, I like that. I also like uh, you know I like Kentucky coming into the year, but I feel like they might have a little bit of a letdown after that emotional win in Knoxville. Uh, you know, Mizzou plus five. 
five might not be such a bad bet either. So from game spreads to totals, no matter who your team is, team player coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the casino online casino as well. It never closes. Head on over to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. That's betonline.ag to sign up today. Bet Online, your online sports book. All right. Well, you already mentioned the Crimson Tide. They're obviously the team to beat in the conference, Jake. After Alabama, who's the next best team in the SEC today? Uh, well, uh, you got to say Georgia. Uh, I mean, people, you could say A&M, but what weapons do they have, especially now that Chapman's out uh, for the rest of the season? I don't think they have enough firepower uh, on offense. And, and you know, Kellen Mond's going to be Kellen Mond. Uh, defensively, they're, they're better than what they have been. Uh, but again, I think it's that tier of Alabama at the top, Georgia just right underneath them, just because up front they can go toe-to-toe with them. Uh, other than that, you know, Florida uh, offensively is great, but on the defensive line, they haven't been able to generate a pass rush or really do anything defensively. Uh, and again, you look at Auburn, it's it's kind of the same thing. What I said was, it looks like it's Alabama, then Georgia, then uh, just a mosh pit of mediocrity. And who's going to be the team that springs out of that? Uh, will be a team that has a chance to challenge, but you look around at personnel and matchups, and especially in a season where you don't have a ton of uh, really uh, reps before the season, and talking about spring and the summer and even fall camp was discombobulated, even though it was like that for everyone. And I don't know if you can make up that ground uh, as far ahead as Alabama is and really Georgia is, uh, like I said, especially up front in a short season like this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, all right. Well, we know who the top of the league is. Obviously, our Commodores, Ryan, are at the bottom of the league uh, for a, a variety of reasons that I've laid out both uh, on the show and in your newsletter, which I am a contributor to. We know the statistical mm. case against Vanderbilt. Um, who's the worst team in the league besides our Commodores? Are you are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Who's oh, okay. the worst team okay. besides the Commodores? Uh, the worst team... You know, right now, I mean, I, I would have said, just looking around, I mean, I'd say Mississippi State right now, just to be honest with you, just because, you know, they're not able to move the ball at all right now. They think they've scored nine points in the past uh, two weekends. Uh, defensively, you know, they're not great. And that offense has been stagnant. Now, they're going to sneak up and bite somebody just because that's what Mike Leach does. But I think just from an all-around personnel standpoint, Really outside because Mizzou, I mean, again, LSU doesn't look great, but with Basilek in there, they look like a different beast on offense. They look confident on offense. Defensively, they got some guys, Nick Bolton, and he's one of the top linebackers in the country, and they'll have a chance not to stop you every time, but be able if that offense can move the ball. And Eli Drinkwitz is a witch when it comes to coming up with misdirection stuff, uh, you know, play action runs, being able to put tight ends in open space, uh, something he did at App State, and then he got a little bit from Coach Satterfield, who's at Louisville now. But uh, I would say Mississippi State right now is uh, – above Vandy for uh, uh, bottom of the conference. Yeah, Jake, we've been uh, – uh, Matt and I, obviously, week in and week out, have been uh, really, really struggling to keep it together watching uh, watching the Vandy, watching <laughs> Vandy out there on Saturdays. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on what's going on with Auburn. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with Vandy, but uh, I want to hear your thoughts on, on what uh, – What's going on down there in Alabama? Well, you know, this season and and on my Sunday recap show I did where I recap all the SEC games and talked about Auburn, really 
uh, I don't think that what you're seeing right now and all this negative energy and, and what's going on is not the symptom of one player. It's not the symptom of one uh, game. It, it's a collection of things that's gone on. And you just look at the numbers, you know, in the last 50, then again, a lot of people say a lot of things. You know, I, I always say, I quote little Wayne, women lie, men lie, numbers don't lie. And what the numbers <laughs> tell me and what the numbers tell me is that in the last 53 SEC games, Auburn is 28 and 25. They're two and seven against Georgia and a Hail Mary away from being one and eight. They're three and four against Alabama. They're 0 and 11 on the road in Athens, Baton Rouge, and Tuscaloosa. All I do is put it in a real world perspective. If I owned a huge law firm and I paid an attorney $7 million a year and he only won 28 out of 53 cases, I'd fire him quicker than George Steinbrenner. So, you know, it's a pattern in the last, I believe, six, uh, I believe six seasons. They've lost at least four games. Uh, so, again, it's kind of gotten to a point where it's like the movie Groundhog's Day, like that part when Bill Murray pops up and he's like, hey, y'all, it's Groundhog's Day. You just continue to see the same things. But, again, South Carolina, uh, Auburn, just from a uh, control standpoint of, uh, you know, the mouthing off and a lot of the things that you really don't see Auburn do, and you marry that with kind of the way recruiting's going right now, and you know how it is. Uh, narratives can change. And narratives are huge and perception is huge. And uh, it's something that with the way that Auburn has played, especially, you know, thank goodness they beat Arkansas. It could be really, really bad right now. So we'll see. But the pressure is definitely on Gus Malzahn. Yeah, well, they probably shouldn't have even beat Arkansas. They got pretty lucky uh, w w with a couple of questionable officiating calls in that one. Um, you know, not so lucky. The Vanderbilt Commodores, obviously. Uh, Jake, you're a former coach, um, you know, and no one at this point seems to have the answer on how to fix Vanderbilt at this point. So we want all the advice we can get from your coaching perspective. What on earth can the Commodores do to turn this thing around and get going in the right direction? Well, when I when I watch Vanderbilt play uh, with the personnel, because all I do, I look at personnel and matchups and there's not a ton of matchups that Vandy is able to exploit. I think if you're Vanderbilt, and this is what I've said for a while, and y'all may think I'm crazy. I think you've got to adopt something that's a little bit different. Uh, maybe you transition to a, you know, true air raid. We're going to throw it around, you know, just mix it up or do some sort of, you know, get Willie Fritz in there to run, you know, the triple, a little bit of spread option. Uh, I just don't know if Vanderbilt can say, we're going to run pro style stuff and go out there and win eight, nine, ten games in the SEC consistently. Because I don't think, uh, and Ryan, you're like the exception to the rule. You know as well as I do, you're not going to get five all-SEC offensive linemen out there at Vanderbilt. That's not how it's going to be. Just because of that is what it is. And you saw what James Franklin was able to do, was they were able to be exciting and just throw to grass and and be up-tempo and, and be a little bit different with the same kind of Vanderbilt, we're disciplined identity, but in my opinion, you can't keep trying to get in a monster truck rally in a in a Prius, man. You gotta you gotta try and mix it up. Ryan, what do you think about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he made he made some interesting points there, and I have to agree with most of them. I mean, um, yeah, I would say at this point where we where we stand, I don't think we can go out there on Saturdays and just line up and say, "Hey, this is who we are. We're just gonna throw, you know, we're just gonna be able to run it down your throats." Uh, or, you know, I agree. I think there might have to be some sort of kind of, I don't want to call it like smoke and mirrors because I hate being that, I hate being that team. I definitely don't want to be the team that's just, that's just known for, to, to be out there running smoke and mirrors. But yeah, 
Um, got to do something, right? Got to bring that energy back. He kind of talked about uh, James Franklin a little bit about how he just the how he brought the excitement back to the program. I talked a little bit last week with with uh, with one of our guests that we had on there. Vandy, they need some momentum worse than ever. They are just they are just so flat. The program as the program itself. I have never seen a program that has been more de- just. Uh, it def- deflated than than the Vanderbilt football program right now. I want to see some sort of excitement. I was talking about how crucial I think our next game is going to be against Ole Miss. Um, if we do not win against Ole Miss, I don't know if we're going to win a game the rest of the season. Um, Welcome to the club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. So I have to agree with with many of those points. Is, is that you know Vanderbilt needs some sort of uh, I don't know if we have an identity right now, but let's go out there and try to at least find something, right? Let's just try to find our identity. Let's put something together out there uh, that's going to at least give us a chance. So I have to agree with with all those statements, Jake. Vandy needs to go out there and and draw something up that maybe you know maybe a team's not not going to be able to prepare for. Let's sling some balls. Uh, you know, let's run some trick plays, something just to get just to get some sort of momentum going. I, I would take anything at this point because the the, the product that I've seen uh, week in and week out at least this season and, and most of the seasons you know prior under Derek Mason have just been awful. Um, and I don't want this to be a bash session about you know coaching, but I did like your analogy that you talked about. You know the the lawyer statement that you made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how can we be you know how can we be confident? You know, putting a coach your your SEC record is more like what our uh, our entire record has been, right? I mean, we're talking about losing. We lose, you know, out of conference games every single year, and that should just not happen in, as an SEC program. So, um, Matt, what are your thoughts? I mean, we I mean, we lost to UNLV at home by more than twenty points last year. <laughs> well, we've got a head we've got a head coach who's saying, hey, you know, Vanderbilt's not going to be a bowl team every year. You know, he said that in a press conference. I forget what game it was after last year, but I about fell out of my chair. I mean, that was just when I was in the program. That was the complete opposite mentality uh, that we had. Obviously, as a player, you don't want a guy. You don't want the guy who's standing up there. You know, leading the squad, saying, "Hey, guys, you know, we're just you know not every yeah." Not let's every accept. Let's accept mediocrity. Team. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm. Tra- yeah. Exactly. I guess that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Let's accept mediocrity. So, you know, when I heard that statement, I, I've just been completely checked out at that point. Um, so some, something needs to happen. I don't know where the disconnect is. I, I just don't know where. And my next question was going to be for you, Jake, was, you know, are there things that – is there things that maybe fans aren't seeing um, internally, you know, as a coach that you might be seeing uh, versus like, hey, what, what fans – what the fan experience is, I guess, watching, you know, the Auburn Tigers or the Vanderbilt Commodores – well, uh, you know, when, it, when I watch Auburn, and, and again, you know, you do it so long, uh, you know, you, I don't just watch the ball the whole game. You know, I'll watch the right. line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, I'll try and watch as many matchups as I can and not just watch the ball. And you really learn, uh, not learn, but you really see a lot more in how, uh, who's controlling the game, uh, kind of what's going on. And when I watch Auburn, you, uh, I see offensively, Bo Nix just, you know, he, he doesn't look comfortable. Uh, he's leaving the pocket when there's no pressure. Now, the Auburn offensive line isn't a steel curtain by any sense of the imagination, but there's been a lot of times where the pocket's protected and a few times where he has stepped up, it's resulted in big plays for Auburn and a few big-time moments. But, you know, last weekend you have Tank Bigsby, who in my opinion is one of the best running backs in the country, even as a true freshman and a guy that's going to be a first-round draft pick. 
And your offensive line is playing pretty well. You're running the ball. The quick game is working. And what shocked me, because Auburn ran a lot of RPOs last week, what shocked me was that Auburn fell in love with the quick game. And I don't think you can blame all of it on Chad Morris because he was calling RPOs, but Bo was pulling almost every RPO and throwing it. I mean, that he threw it 47 times and Tank Bigsby's ripping off seven yards of carry and you're not feeding them. And especially when you have a two score lead on the road, I mean, you're up nine to nothing with the ball and you're gashing them. And then you throw the ball three times, stop the clock. And then obviously you throw two interceptions before halftime. But to me, Auburn's got to be more balanced. It always goes back to balance. That's why this, you know, the Mike Leach stuff isn't going to work until there's some sort of balance. And I've been saying that the whole time. You're going to sneak up on some teams, but you'll never be consistent in the SEC and be able to win anything uh, worthwhile. But until Auburn is able to not fall in love with just what's working and trying to be balanced to set things up for later. They're going to keep scrambling. Everything's going to look, look uncomfortable. And to me, Bo Nix right now, because there's no, there's nobody behind him. That's the thing. It's like leaving a pitcher in that's getting shelled in the game. You know, he can't get any better if you're leaving him in there and he's just getting knocked around the yard. So that's one of the things you're having year one problems depth-wise in year eight. It's something I've talked about a lot. And it's something that Auburn's got to fix quick because that's the only answer. But that's what happens when all your eggs are in one basket. Yeah, well, obviously, Malzahn is uh, firmly entrenched on the hot seat these days, as is Derek Mason, even though we're not sure if anyone is, uh, you know, if the administration is willing to pull the trigger on that one, even though we've had, what, we're in our seventh year, I think, without a winning season there uh, at, at Vanderbilt. So not exactly the kind of numbers you want to see in the SEC. Anyone else at the conference you think is actually on the hot seat these days? I think Muschamp was to begin the year. But, you know, w with a couple of victories, he seems to have at least moved to the side burner. Um, you know, hot seat wise, not, not really. I mean, I guess you could say Jeremy Pruitt if it really falls off the deep end, but, uh, I think he's actually building something over there and people realize that, especially the people behind the scenes, he's still a year, two years away, but that's how long it takes when you're having to run down Bama and Georgia with what they've got. And, uh, he's got to develop a quarterback like we talked about, but you know, really outside of those two, obviously all these first year coaches, None of them are going to get fired unless something crazy off the field happens. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think so other than those two. Now, uh, obviously, things change, but uh, I would say those are the two. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, man. Um, obviously, like you have a little bit. Uh, you, I mean, we, we've talked about your, your, your coaching experience. You, you coached Juco for a while. How did you get in the coaching game to begin with? Oh, uh, well, you know, my dad was uh, All-American at Auburn. And uh, played linebacker. And, and so, you know, I grew up. That's what we did. You know, sports is what we did. Uh, I ended up uh, signing with South Alabama to play baseball. Uh, and then two years later, uh, or a year and a half later, they started a football program. And uh, my dad had coached for Auburn and TCU and Troy back in the day. And they got out of it, uh, wanted to get back into it, and actually got hired there. And uh, got done playing um, and, you know, wanted to get into coaching. Didn't know if I wanted to coach baseball or football. I uh, decided I wanted to do football and uh, really kind of started from there. And yeah, yeah, started from there and, and was lucky enough to work under Tommy Perry, uh, whose granddad was John David Crow, uh, actually from Texas, you know, from the Junction Boys. And uh, he was at Alabama and learned under uh, Coach Cunningham, who ended up going to, uh, excuse me, Coach Middleton, Ron Middleton, uh, who's a really good special teams mind. I just kind of worked my way up from there and uh, was in Juco for a little bit, was at South Alabama and uh, was up in Montana for a little bit. And then uh, came back after this coronavirus stuff and started the podcast, man. It just took off and 
uh, I was like, man, it's, it's doing really well. And I'm going to worry about it for my guys play bad getting fired on Saturday. And I still get to yeah. actually, it's nuts. You know, it's nuts because for the past eight and a half, nine years, I haven't really been able to watch football on Saturday. You know, I get to watch the early game. You, you know how it is, Ryan. You know, you get to watch the early game in the hotel sometimes, and then you get to watch the late game sometimes when you're traveling, and then obviously the highlights. But the whole week, you're watching film of the other team. I mean, even right when the game ends. So it's actually been surreal to me to be able to actually sit down and flip the channels or have multiple TVs and be like, I'm going to watch college football today. And then I get to talk about it. So uh, we've been very lucky. Uh, we just hit number one on Apple Podcasts. So it's just, uh, it's been uh, it's been a blessing and, and seeing how far we can take it. Awesome, man. Yeah, dude. The, uh, I, I, my coaching career lasted about three months. <laughs> <laughs> it's right, crazy, right dog, I, especially early. Yeah. Yeah, I left. Uh, I left Dallas and actually moved up to Ann Arbor and was. Mm-hmm. I basically just texted. I texted Coach Harbaugh and was like, "Hey, I'm not really sure what my next move is, but would love just to kind of be a part of the program." Uh, ended up, you know, I guess just technically kind of interning or as an analyst there for a little yeah. bit, uh, and, and found out very quickly that that coaching wasn't <laughs> going to be wasn't going to be for me, man. But yeah, so so nice of a feeling on Saturdays and Sundays as a former player, just be able to turn on the television and actually watch a game. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, most of your time was was absolutely taken up by you know uh, scouting your opponent or you know working uh, working on whatever that is that you need to get taken care of before you play yeah. play that weekend. Um, and yeah, dude, congratulations on the podcast, man. That's, that's so awesome. That. What, what are, uh, what, I guess what has been some of your favorite, what's one of your favorite guests that you've had on so far? Maybe someone that you'd never thought you'd have, uh, on your show. Well, you know, there's been a, there's a few, the one that's just absolutely fantastic is one of the first ones I did in this junior Rose green, the guy who, uh, had the hit on Reggie Brown from Georgia where he knocked him out. And he, uh, it's actually on the intro and he talks about, he said he was gonna, he ran, he snatched his soul when he ran through him. You just got to hear the intro <laughs> of the podcast, man. And, uh, but I'd say the one that, one that was really, really special to me, uh, outside of the Pat Dye tribute was probably Woody Page. Um, just because, uh, you know, I didn't know I'm living in Mississippi right now, uh, actually up in, uh, Tupelo. And, uh, we started talking during the show. Turns out he's from Tupelo. He grew up right across the street from Elvis Presley. He used to go over to his house. His older brother was in the Memphis Mafia with Elvis, and it was just incredible. But it's surreal because, you know, I've had a ton of people from ESPN and the SEC Network, and, and I've never really been the type to be starstruck. I mean, I've had Bruce Pearl and stuff like that, but you know how it is, Ryan. I mean, when, you, when you're in coaching, especially – you know, at, at the division one level, I mean, you go to the coaching convention, you're running into Kevin Sumlin and, and I mean, Kirby smart and, you know, everybody's there and that stuff. So at the end of the day, I mean, it's crazy. Cause you see them on TV, then you have them on, you realize, you know, talking to them too, they're just, you know, normal guys. And I've been very lucky to have those guys mm-hmm. and, and you kind of find out who they really are. Yeah. That's fantastic. Is there yeah, anyone is there who, a, like, uh, who's your white whale? Oh, I mean, that's a great, like, nobody's asked me that. Like I've thought about that. I would say probably the white whale right now for me was probably Bruce Pearl just because he's just a rock star, man. Um, that one did really, 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 really well. And uh, I would say Bruce Pearl. I mean, Tim Brando was a big one for me. Um, yeah, but I'm talking about the but one yeah, you Bruce haven't Pearl. got yet. Who who haven't you oh, got? Oh, the one yet? I haven't. Oh, yeah, the but I that's haven't. the white whale. You got me in touch. Oh, my bad. I, I thought I thought you meant I thought we were going Moby Dick, you know. Yeah, what I'm saying? I was um, Moby Dick, that's the one you don't get. Yeah, the one you're I always got you, chasing. I got you, I got you, I got you. Yeah. Oh god, the white whale right now is fine bomb. 
That's oh, the one. I'm, I'm trying to get Feinbaum on. Our you guy. Because uh, again, I feel like that's that that's a notch. You know what I'm saying? That's a notch. And then uh, I really want Ryan Clark on. Uh, I like Ryan a lot. Um, I like his analysis a lot. And he's a defensive guy. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I like what he has. No offense, Ryan. No offense, Ryan. No, but, uh, <laughs> you know, you understand what I'm saying. But, uh, no, at the end of the day, I'd say probably, uh, yeah, Ryan Clark. Ryan Clark and Feinbaum. Those are the two. And I'm going to get him, though. I'm going to get him, though. Watch. I, I, I have no doubt that you will. Ryan, do you have a white whale? Do you have, do you have, do you have someone who you really want to get? Who I really want to get on the show? Yeah. Um... You know, oh gosh, put me on the spot. Probably yeah. guys you never heard of. You probably guys you guys never even heard of though. Um, actually, my mind is completely off this topic. I was thinking about what. <laughs> Dude, I was no, it caught what, me a little. I was too. totally thinking about what my next question was going to be for Jake, and I was thinking about I, I was I was reading a little bit about Auburn. I guess before we before mm. we got on the podcast tonight, does Auburn have a three hundred pound tight end? Oh yeah, it's a guy named JJ Pegues. He's a freshman. <laughs> He's 6'2", 300. They put him in the wildcat against Arkansas. He breaks the tackle in the backfield, 360, spins a guy, and then hurdles a dude for a first down. Amazing. It was a thing of beauty. It was a thing of beauty. And then in beautiful Auburn fashion, the next game, they don't even give him the ball. Oh, God. Typical. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. they are Maybe they are setting him up. You know, maybe they are planning for the yeah, future. Yeah, well, t- well, I mean <laughs> – well, you better, yeah. Well, you bet. You better stop stop playing with the future. The, the future may change. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, it looks like it might down there, uh, down at Auburn. I mean, I think you know, there's there's definitely some some rumblings and grumblings amongst both the fan base and it seems like the the donor class as well. So, do you have a guy that you think that would be the ideal fit for the Tigers to if if Malzahn does indeed get the boot? Okay, well, here's how I want to approach this because I don't number one root for anybody to be no, fired, no, especially obviously. after. And I know you're not asking. I know that's yeah. how you're saying. And I typically don't like to speculate on this, especially since he's still there and the season's still young. But again, everybody has the wish list. The AD has the piece of paper he keeps in his sock drawer it, that he goes and checks every night and before he goes to sleep and and sometimes tucks it under his. Yeah, I love, just to, <laughs> I love this. I love this energy, man. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, I bring it every time, dog. Uh, you should have seen me uh, coaching on the field. That was insane. Oh, uh, oh but um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I would say if I had to pick one, to me, it'd be Mario Cristobal. And uh, the reason for that is, number one, he's, he's a defensive guy. That's why. He's a, well, No, he's offensive lineman. Oh, See, I thought he was uh, defensive line. I thought he was D-line. He's offensive line, right? I thought he was – I could have sworn he was D-line. I could have ah, sworn on anything he was D-line. But. Uh, well, he's a lineman, so therefore we're right. But yeah. so anyways, uh, the reason for that would be – and again, this is all speculation. This is all speculation. Um, uh, I just think, number one, he understands he has the blueprint that Jeremy Pruitt has, that Kirby has, that, that you know, how to take control of a program and, and how to, you know, really build it from inside side out uh but a big thing is he's the second lowest paid coach in the pac 12 and if you're looking at auburn that has a buyout that's 21 million dollars over three years that's a lot of money because you don't only have to pay that you have to pay the staff it depends on who stays who goes then you have to have enough money to entice a, a big time coach to be able to you know turn that around and then you have the question of well if are you losing more money by not making a change than you are by making a change over the long haul it just kind of depends i guess how you look at it but Mario Cristobal, because, again, he understands the South. Uh, he's got the blueprint. He's an unbelievable recruiter. I think he won Rivals Recruiter of the Year twice at Alabama. 
Uh, he's not afraid to recruit against anyone. He's not afraid to win a recruiting battle. Uh, and again, he's kind of, uh, you know, excuse my language, a little bit of a tough ass. And, uh, you know, there's something about that and Auburn that kind of marries together, especially when things are, are down. It's typically a, a real tough guy that comes in there and is able to turn it around. Yeah, you were right about offensive line. I just uh, did, did a quick little search. You were right about the offensive bang, line. Bang, and now bang, I feel bang. and now I feel actually guilty bang, Ryan, bang. because Ryan and I pride ourselves on being an offensive line podcast. So um <laughs> well, hey, listen, listen. So the pupil has become the teacher. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, man. Well, uh obviously we've got um you know, uh, a couple more, you know, we had more COVID delays. We got, you know, scheduled bye weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. I got to say, it is a little weird only having like four games this weekend. We had four games last weekend. That is weird. Yeah, it's it's, it's been very strange. Like Vanderbilt feel, feels like they've been off for a month, you know, like w- w- without having <laughs> these games. So, which, you know, for some Vandy fans might not be the worst thing, especially the ones who are like living and dying <laughs> with every play. I that. Because, you yeah. know, they probably needed that. I've got uh, I got a guy who, who lives down, who lives in my neighborhood, who takes, he has got this giant projector, like a 4K projector. We, he, he takes it out and he projects every single game in front of his garage and he's screaming at it during the entirety of the game. Uh, he's a great guy to watch the game with, but I'm just, I, I, oh, I, I I'm worried about his blood pressure, man. I'm like, dude, if, if you're going to do that, like you need to be an Alabama fan because like, otherwise you were just, gonna, <laughs> you were just setting yourself up for absolute heartbreak. Well, I, I, well, I was thinking about, um, talking about, you know, coaches and, and bios and things like that. What's your opinion, I guess, Jake on, um, well, like you made a little comment about you looking for a coach that's going to come to come into a program and take control. That absolutely kind of hit the nail on the head for me. I, I want to see for our next coach, someone that's going to come in here and absolutely just take the bull by the horns. When you're, I guess, um, you know, when you're, when you're a school that maybe has a coach that's already, uh, in the program and maybe has a large buyout, are you, are you going to go out and look for another coach that's like already in like an established guy who maybe already who also is going to come in with a big price tag, or are you looking for maybe a guy that's just been kind of like been under the you know, totally under the radar? Maybe he's been on some really good coaches, and uh, you know, as you're doing these interviews, just maybe looking for a guy who just needs a shot, or like maybe for Vanderbilt. Like what would you say? That, what, what, what would you recommend? I guess for a school like Vandy, who's never actually had, who's never actually had like you know, a franchise guy come into the program and take over. Like we've always had these kind of like up and come up and coming guys. If I'm Vandy, I try and go do whatever to get Garrett Riley. Why not? You know, um, you know, when I, you're Vandy, he's at SMU right now. He's the OC. It's Lincoln's little brother. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, I don't think would be afraid. He's a, and a really good offensive mind. Uh, he's exciting. He's a good recruiter. Uh, obviously he has the same inroads that Lincoln has. Uh, the offenses are, are, are similar, but they call plays a little bit different and that'd be a big splash name. I think if you're Vandy, uh, kind of, kind of like I mentioned about the gameplay and, and being exciting and being fun and fresh, I'd go get a young guy. Why not? You know, what do you have to lose by, by going and, and getting a young guy? And yeah, he may struggle for the first two years, but I guarantee you after year three, year four and year five, when you're winning some games, He's going to really be able to look back and, and say, well, you know, before I go ahead and look at this next job, Vandy, you guys got me when I was a kid. And I think if you're Vandy, that's the way you got to play it. I don't think you can Kevin Costner this thing. I think you got to go out there and get somebody 
that's fresh, that's innovative offensively, that recruits will be excited about, uh, that a fan base can get excited about, somebody that will embrace, not saying Derek Mason has, and I'm not going to pretend like I live in Nashville, but somebody that can kind of get, you know, that Nashville up-and-coming, you know, live music, Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of energy, and kind of embrace that. Use it not only in recruiting, oh, you're, but, but you're preaching. Uh, you're preaching as to why we think we should dominate in recruiting, and for whatever reason, I, you know, I still can't wrap my right, my mind around. Well, it, but, it's uh, well, my uh, thing is, is like is no- Vanderbilt. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, sorry. Is Vanderbilt ahead. a step? Is Vanderbilt a stepping stone? Is Vanderbilt always going to be the school where a guy comes in, maybe has a little bit of luck, and is automatically going to leave for the next best thing? Well, you know, I, I guess that's one way to look at it, but I think the way you kind of look at it is like App State looks at it, is that, well, if we keep pumping out guys that are successful, that means we're having a lot of success. And just like I talk about Bo Nix at quarterback, you can never go broke making a profit. Now, I don't think Vandy's going to ever be Alabama or ever be a dynasty, but I think you guys know as well as I do, if you guys can consistently win, you know, seven to eight games every two out of four years or three out of four years and go to bowls, like you said, and go to a decent bowl and a good bowl consistently and maybe a great one every now and then. And you may go through coaches. And and again, I think you got to kind of realize, you know, not what you are, but what you can be. And instead of looking at it in the light of, well, we're just a stepping stone. Why don't we look at it as in light of we're a place where young coaches turn great. And if they're turning great on your watch, they're winning a lot of games. And I think that's something that Vanderbilt fans, you know, would definitely take over what they have now. Yeah, they definitely would. And that, I guess that's, that's what one of the questionable things about the coordinators that they hired this season was they hired two guys who, who have a combined 70 plus years experience in college football, which experience is great. Don't get me wrong. But when you're hiring dudes that are in their 50s, 60s, like for these big positions, like, you know, like the, the brain trust, if you will, the head coach, the OC and the DC, like their average age is like 58. You know, and, and yeah, well, I mean, I you're already you're fighting to me. You're already fighting a battle of, and again, this isn't, this isn't a bad thing. It's a compliment. You know, Vandy's a place where smart people go. You know, that's what everybody knows. That's not a secret that Vandy's, you know, a huge academic, and there's a ton of great academic institutions in the SEC. I'm not saying that, but Vandy is a top level academic institution, and you're already kind of fighting that narrative a little bit. Not, and it doesn't help football, obviously, in my opinion. Maybe every now and then with the prospect that you know has really good grades and and school is you know the ultimate for him. But I'm sitting here looking at it, and it's almost changing the narrative of getting something in there, like I said, that's fresh. Getting somebody in there that's young that'll maybe get some guys that, that have good grades, but say, you know, I, I want to go, you know, play for, you know, Kansas state or something like that and being able to win those. Cause again, you know, as well as I, there's talent in the state of Tennessee, but there's other ways that Vanderbilt can get talent as well. I just think you gotta, you can't have, like you said, guys that are, you know, 60, 70 years old. And the narrative's already that it's a, it's a, it's a smart kid's school. You gotta have something there that's fresh, man. Yeah, I, that's me. Though. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. Again, you keep Jake, you keep talking about uh, characteristics of my former coach, James Franklin. I mean, you keep exactly you, you keep talking about, you know, his type of characteristic was is that he wasn't he, he was trying to change the narrative at Vanderbilt University. He was going into these. He was going into dorms. He was going into frat houses. You know, hey, man, guys, come to the games. Just come to the games. We need your support. Yeah. Hey, bring two people. My my challenge to you this week as a fan is just to bring two people. His his mentality every single week was we're going to be 1-0. It didn't matter It didn't matter who we were playing. It didn't matter if we were playing an out-of-conference game, whether we were playing an in-conference game. His mentality every single week was to be 1-0. <clears throat> and I just love that energy that he brought to the school. You know, he was a younger coach. Uh, not a lot of guys maybe heard about James Franklin, obviously coming from uh, coming from Maryland. But 
Dude brought the energy that just absolutely lit the city of Nashville on fire. It did truly feel like Nashville, like Vanderbilt was the uh, was the team in Tennessee. Yeah, it's I mean, a cool Nashville, place to be. It you is. know what I'm saying? It was a cool place to be. <clears throat> so, so absolutely. I, I really do. I do really have to agree, Jake. And I think that as uh, if Vandy wants to get back to where we were seven years ago, I mean, at the highest of the university's ever been, we were setting, we were setting all kinds of records. We were setting records that hadn't been set since the twenties, since world war two, since the great depression, which is absolutely crazy for an SEC program. I want to see it get back to that. We all do. I think the biggest frustration for us is, you know, you talked about the school being a highly academic school. Well, as a fan, as a former player, you know, we're always going to look back at that seasons with Franklin was there. And then also we're going to look around the country and look at other teams like Northwestern, Stanford, these schools who have had success in their, in their conferences. Like, that's what's so frustrating to us. It's like, how come we can't be these other schools? We had like a glimpse of light there. And then, uh, you know, obviously we can't blame Coach Franklin for going to, you know, going to Penn State. But that is the mentality I, I definitely want is that we are going to be winners. We are going to go to bowl games every single season. We're going to have winning games or winning seasons every single year. And right now the the uh, the vibe, I guess you could say, in Nashville, especially, with, you know, at, at Vanderbilt specifically, is that, we're okay with we're okay with what we're putting on the field, and that is what's that is what's so frustrating, you know. From our, you know, we just got a new AD, and I'm just like waiting. We're just Vanderbilt's just the edge of their seat, just waiting to see like what are we going to do to change this. But we're seven seven seasons in now. Seven. Yeah, seasons and there's a there's a great scene in dodgeball at the beginning where uh, Vince Vaughn goes over to the Globo Gym and. He's like, uh, he's talking to Ben Stiller, and Ben Stiller's like, yeah, you know, I really like what you got going on over there at Average Joe's, the whole I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay thing. <laughs> but like, that's, that's okay exact, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, that's exactly. And it's, I, get yeah, it, that's, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Look, I'm not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay. I get it. It works, you know. And and that's the way that, you know, it, I feel like if you yeah. if you surrender to that, and I think that's what it is. It's a, it's an acceptance of mediocrity. And once that bleeds in and once that sets in, man, it's like a grease stain. It's really hard to get out. And yeah. typically you can't get it out unless you burn the whole thing down. And it, it's something where it's a trap that once you fall in, like I said, it's really hard to dig your way out of. And especially if the fan base starts to accept it, uh, then it really becomes a problem because you know, again, the acceptance of mediocrity doesn't just scream out to the top recruits that we all know that now, especially in today's age, that perception is reality and momentum is, is king. And uh, can coaches uh, can coaches win or can coaches can coaches be successful and programs be successful when you don't have, I guess, an administration that's completely bought in? I guess what I'm saying is no, maybe no. From, a, from a financial from a financial standpoint. No. No, it's one. I mean, again, I mean, I guess you, you got to, uh, what would you define success? You know, winning championships or, or going mm -hmm. to bowl games. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're saying winning championships then that's everybody's got to yeah, be, in. you know, you can go to a bowl, you can go right. to a big time program. That's got a lot of money and, and win seven, eight games, nine games every now and then and you can go to bowls and, and, you know, blase, blase, blase. But if you're at a place that wants to win championships, not only does the administration have to be in, the secretaries have to be in, the janitors have to be in, the equipment managers have to be in, the fan base has to be in, uh, everybody, the teachers, administration, faculty. And I'm not saying you do anything, you know, nefarious, but everybody's got to be trying to pull their own thing. And once you turn it mm -hmm. into a machine 
into one organism that's moving at once. That's how you just continue to roll through people year after year. And I always talk about roster management. It's something that I think is unbelievably under talked about in college football nowadays, especially in shows is uh, I always say there's a reason they pay GMs in the NFL so much money. And there's a reason that SEC teams started using their director of player personnel and, you know, insert name here uh, that are making 400, $300,000, $400,000 a year to basically be the GM and make sure that our roster's balanced, that we never lose too much at once, especially when, you know, you're in almost a decade's worth of uh, entrenching your culture and, and your development into a program. And it's wow. something I talk about Honestly, with that is so – I love your outlook on that. And you know what? That is not something I ever thought about until you literally just said that. Like, I almost have to take a step back and think about that. Like, roster management, having like a GM mentality in a collegiate locker room. You, I mean, gosh, just thinking about that, especially looking at like if you ever want to have consistent success, like if you ever want to have like a program that is just going to be consistent year in, year out, dominating – you know, if you think about from like a like a like managing a roster standpoint, you know, you're, you're thinking about a team's success not only this year, next year. You know, we've got coaches who will go out there and just burn through players, and I'm I'm, I'm trying to think of like a specific example, but like I guess I'm taking this. What you're saying is is like um, a, having like a GM, like a GM mentality in a collegiate program is genius. I, I don't, I, I, I that is genius, honestly, because you're protecting. You know, you're protecting the uh, the franchise, I guess you could say. Exactly, because um, think about it. Think you know? about it. Like, you watch Bama, right? Yeah, and I use this example because yeah. they're the best at it. That's the reason. That's the trick. And uh, Tyler Siski, who was with me uh, when I was at South Alabama, the wide receiver coach, was the, basically the GM at Alabama. He's director of player personnel, which Kevin Scherer was as well, who's now the DC, obviously, at Tennessee. But uh, basically what that was was the GM. So you're sitting there saying, and everybody manages their roster, but it is down to the point. And I said this uh, when I was on with Ricky Green and Tide Talks and them. It's down to such a science that, that they have, have over there that it's not only just, okay, we need to make sure that we have this amount of defensive ends. Nick Saban literally stands by these guys when they take pictures. Uh, you know the pictures you see before the games, like when the graphic comes up and it's like the offense. Notice all of Alabama players are always smiling. And they always look happy. And the reason that is, is because if a recruit's parents is watching the Alabama game, which they probably are, then they subconsciously look at that and go, oh my goodness, that whole team looks so happy. I want my son to be happy. It's just, it, they're playing 4D chess over there and they have been for a while. And that's the blueprint that Jeremy Pruitt has. That's, a, that's the blueprint uh, that Kirby Smart has. That's the blueprint that Cristobal has, even out at Oregon. And that's the blueprint that actually Bill O'Brien, because they all learned it from Belichick. This all comes from Belichick. He says, and it's a very, very, it's genius. If I can control everything and it's all on me, then I'm going to win. Because you know, guy, both y'all, you know how competitive these guys are. And, and especially as an athlete, you want the ball in the ninth inning hit at you to make the last out. You want to be the guy they run the ball in on fourth and one or who's running the ball on fourth and one. That's what these guys want. And if they come in and say, listen, you give me full control of this thing. And like I said, it's not anything nefarious. It's I'm going to make the decisions that I think are best for the program. That's what Nick Saban did at Alabama. He turned the whole thing around. And again, at the end of the day, that is something that wins in the long term because short-term wins are great. But you, 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 Nick Saban and, and those guys are the best at putting together careers because that is something that will always win. Roster management and organization and knowing when to replenish the ammo and where to replenish it will always keep you stocked. I think that is genius. 
That is genius, man. I'm sorry. I'm just over here like I, I appreciate it, man. Oh, nobody ever talks to that. Blows I can my sit mind. here and listen. I can listen to you <laughs> talk about this. Well, yeah, because like you're talking about, like you saying, like how, just having an understanding of where you're low. I mean, you know, having understanding of like what positions you're going to need to fill in upcoming years. And you know, I just. Gosh, if more teams took that mentality rather than just trying to go out, hey, we're going to get as many five-star guys as we can. I don't care what position groups are. Yeah, it's targeted attacks. Uh, That's what it is. It's targeted attacks. Targeted attacks. And again, it's it's not saying you always – and again, you always want to take the best uh, available, but you got to understand what you are. It's like in basketball. Ask the Rockets what happens when you play with five guards. You're never going to win when AD comes down the court. So you got to be balanced. you got to be able, you know what I'm saying, to have the linemen to be able to go up against them. Obviously, you have the skill players, but you got to know, hey, listen, we're about to have two guys drafted, two defensive tackles drafted as juniors. Well, thank God we've turned this into a machine and we have two five-stars that are true freshmen that got some PT. They're going to be sophomores. And then we can go out there and say, hey, five-star defensive tackle recruit, two classes from now. Look at our, our two juniors that just went to the NFL. Our sophomores already on the first-round board you're going to be the next guy in line. And they can put that on paper and they show that to the kid. They show that to mom. They show that to dad. And it's a great business decision, especially if the kid's going, if the kid's going to Alabama, he's probably got a pretty good chance playing the NFL or really in the SEC in general. So I, I think that's the trick. It's not just, hey, I signed this four-star. And it's not really even about stars. It's about evaluation. It's, listen, this guy may be a three-star. I don't care. This guy's an NFL guard. Like I'm watching him on tape. I don't care what they ranked him because you're going to fall a true into NFL mindset. Yeah. That is a true it is. NFL mindset. It is because you know, it got Randy Shannon fired at Miami. Yeah, yeah. it got Randy you're, Shannon you're fired at Miami. The, looking at stars, you're seeing guys in the NFL who are coming out of you know JUCO schools or coming out of D two schools, and you know these guys aren't being uh, projected as you know first round, second round guys. And then you you see it every single year. You see the talent. Yep. Just the, the talent will appear and the talent will show itself. Um, these scouts do an amazing job, but yeah, that yeah, is like one, like one of my one of my favorite offensive linemen in the entire league actually is not playing this year because of COVID. Laurent Duvernay Tardif with the Chiefs. He played guard at McGill in Montreal, Canada. And it's just they're they're everywhere, bro. Yeah. Like you just got to know yeah. where to look. I mean, there's like my dad used to say, there's monsters everywhere. You just got to know where to look. But again, and and uh, Alabama and Georgia and SEC teams recruit and Auburn. They, they typically recruit at such a high level that you're able to balance it out. But again, once you have have the momentum, I mean, look at the, the some of the offensive line classes. That look at Alabama's offensive line class. That to me is how you win. Because I always talk about it, and I think you guys will agree with me. The game starts and ends up front. You can have all the skill players in the world. You can have every single. You can have the whole Pro Bowl skill uh, uh, skill positions on your team. If you can't block and you can't be balanced. You're not going to move the ball. You're not going to be able to stop anybody. So at the end of the day, I think it's a monopoly on linemen. And right now, that's what Alabama and Georgia have done. And that's what everybody's scraping at the barrel for. And until somebody can knock that over, and there's a few teams that are trying because guess what? These guys have the same blueprint, and they all know what to do. It's just who can do it better. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. All right. Well, Jake, listen, thank you so much for all of your insights. I think we're going to need to have another chat with you just about, you know, program organization and, you know, and recruiting tactics next time you come you on. Blew my mind. Hey, you man. Blew my is mind it tonight, Jake? <laughs> it's a totally different I just, world. I just never really thought about, about Yeah. I just, I guess it's just really something I haven't really ever thought about. Obviously, I, I, I've come from, you know, professional organizations and, 
they are they are definitely laid laid out completely different in the NFL versus college. But why can't you take mm-hmm. that? Why can't you take that NFL mentality and apply it to a college program? And that's what literally state? that's what and that's why. And again, I don't be too long, but I don't mean to cut you off, Ryan. But why do you think I'm a firm believer in this? Why do you think that people like Nick Saban? And I know Bill O'Brien had a little bit of success, but in the long term, Bill O'Brien and Steve Spur and these guys weren't successful in the NFL because the NFL has owners. You are never the top. You will never, ever be the top dog. Nick Saban in the NFL was not the top dog in the Dolphins organization. So now when you come to college, now you get to say, all right, I'm the top dog. I get to determine who every move that's made, because I'll say that here's the deal they make. You give me the power. And if I screw up, fire me, because I know it, at least it's on me. But at least I know when I'm taking this job that I have a chance to win games because I'm controlling all of it. And some universities will do that and some will not. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's a business. This isn't, you know, a country taking over another country. It's, it's a football program. It's a, it's a billion dollar industry. It's a billion dollar industry. It's a business. And if you run it like a business a little bit, it's amazing the results that you can get if you're organizationally structured. Awesome. That's man. perfect. All right. Well, uh, listen, dude, thank you so much. And uh, we will definitely be checking you out again. Uh, go ahead and plug your podcast and everything else, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, you can uh, find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, at the J-Boy Show. Make sure. I know we talked about the news that are earlier. Uh, it's, it's doing really well. It's at thejboyshow.com. Um, we have some great guests lined up. Booger McFarland uh, coming up. Got uh, Ryan Grant from the Packers coming up. Uh, and some some big ones next week. Uh, Josh Booty, uh, former LSU quarterback. So uh, some big stuff cracking, man. I appreciate y'all uh, letting me come on. And, and we definitely got to do it again. Ryan, it was great talking to you, man. It was great talking with you, man. I really, really enjoyed it. Totally changed my totally changed my thought process now that I – how I evaluate college football programs, man. <laughs> hey, well, yeah. Well, I, I tell you, I don't know a lot. But uh, if I was a chef for nine years, I could probably have a pretty good chef podcast, the way I put it. But, uh, Matty, I appreciate you, man. Always, dude. Likewise. All right, we'll talk to you, man. All right, buddy. Thanks, Jake. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.